Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. So therefore the sin of the men, the young men, was very great before the Lord, and men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Notice that God was gracious to them, and he gave Eli and his sons much time to repent, because some time is going by. And we should never assume that just because God hasn't busted us yet, that it's okay, or that he condones something that we're doing that nobody may be aware of. If whatever you are doing is wrong and you know it, you must turn from it as soon as possible and stop playing games with God. Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, Pastor Rob finalizes this part of 1 Samuel chapter 1. We learn that the greatness of the sin of Eli's sons was clear because through their greed, violence, and intimidation, they made others not want to come and bring offerings to the Lord. It was bad enough what they themselves did, but the greater sin of Eli's sons was in how they hurt other people. We need to remember that our sin that goes without repentance does not only hurt us, but it also hurts people around us. Now let's join Pastor Rob for today's message. A potluck, it doesn't violate anything biblical, right? It's a good thing to do, get the body of Christ together and eat. I think we can find precedent in the, in the Bible. But, you know, it's things like that, you know, there, there's, it's really not a bad thing. You're fellowshipping. Those kind of things are okay. They can be. They can get out of hand. Paul had to rebuke the Corinthians because they got together and they were getting drunk. <laughs> Finally, he had to put the kibosh on it because what seemed like a good thing became something kind of corrupt. And that's usually the way things go. When God institutes something, if we're not careful, man loves to take that thing and add to it, maybe subtract to it, and pretty soon it becomes something different than what God had originally intended. But it was the priest's custom. This was not a custom that God sanctioned because he had already made provision within the law that the priest would be provided for from those sacrifices. In fact, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 7. Leviticus chapter 7. Leviticus chapter 7, beginning in verse 28. Notice, and this is just one passage, there are others, but I think you'll get the point. These men were throwing in this flesh hook, and they they were already provided for. They had enough meat. There wasn't any real necessity for them to go and throw in another flesh hook. There's no mention of a flesh hook of this kind of character in, in 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 the sacrifices. God provided for the priests 
Because they served him, they lived off of those sacrifices. That's what that was their job, if I could say that. It was their privilege, right, to serve God in that way. Notice Leviticus 7, verse 28. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, He who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifices of, of his peace offering. His own hand shall bring the offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat... With the breast he shall bring, and the breast shall be waved as a wave offering before the Lord, and the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his son's. That's a pretty good cut of meat, wouldn't you say? The breast of the animal, that's a pretty good cut. Also, the right thigh. You shall give to the priest as a heave offering from the sacrifices of your peace offerings. He among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right thigh for his part. For the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering I have taken from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings and I have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons from the children of Israel by a statute forever. And this is consecrated, this is the consecrated portion for Aaron and his sons. From the offerings made by fire to the Lord on the day when Moses presented them to minister to the Lord as priests. And the Lord commanded this to be given to them by the children of Israel on the day that he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. So then the question I have to ask is why wasn't that enough? It was good enough. It was good enough. God gave them, but no. We want more. Isn't that the heart of man? You give a man a mile, and he will want two miles. You give him one automobile, and he'll start thinking about two automobiles. You give him one pizza, and he wants two pizzas. You get the point. The flesh is never satisfied. But to me, one of the keys to happiness, the keys of godliness, what does it say? Holiness or godliness with contentment is great gain. When I can be content with what I have. I heard a saying one time that I liked. It's not necessarily in the Bible, but I believe it's biblical. Happiness is not necessarily getting what you want, but wanting what you have. You know, to have something. You know how it is. You buy something new. You have it for a year, and then your heart grows. Let me get King James here. Your heart waxes wanton. You start looking at, oh, this car is not really that good anymore. i got to get that new, the new one with the upgraded computer chip. I press that button and a little thing of hot coffee comes up. Dunkin' Donuts coffee, too. <laughs> it's never enough. And these priests were like that. God had provided for them, but no, it's not enough. Got to have more. Got to have more. Got to have more. I'm not satisfied. Got to have it. Got to have more. And boy, what an awful heart to always be scorning what God has given and always wanting more. I want more. I want more. So they would take the flesh hook in his hand while the meat was still boiling. And it was the priest's custom. Again, as soon as a man gets a hold of something that God puts in place, more often than not it gets corrupted. It reminds me of the, the feast of the Passover 
In Exodus, if you remember, in chapter 12, God instituted the Passover. And let me read something to you that's very interesting. And I don't want to make a big deal of this, but I think it's interesting. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, when God institutes the Passover, it says, And thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The Lord's Passover. Not anybody else's Passover. It's the Lord's Passover. But then we get to John chapter 2. After hundreds of years of doing, going through the Passover and going through the, 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 the routine, and uh, again, you know, and the next thing you know, they're, they're just continually, perpetually doing it. And after a while, it's just like going through the motions. And all of a sudden, you're just kind of getting bored. Now you want something a little better, something a little new. You want a little fireworks in the place. You're looking for something. And now, finally, in Jesus' day, isn't it true that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were just going through the motions, going through the motions, so much so that on the day of Passover, it says, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Now, I don't want to make a huge deal out of that, but we just read that it was the Lord's Passover. John could have said in John chapter 2, verse 13 there, he could have said, and the Passover of the Lord, or the Lord's Passover, was at hand. But no, by this time it had become something a little bit different. There was really no worship in it anymore, going through the motions, just like cattle, you know, just, you know, being prodded behind it. You're just kind of going along for the ride. You've lost, you don't really know what it's about anymore. Not even sharing that with your kid, just kind of like, you know, this is what we do, you know. Pass the bitter herbs. Even in John chapter 6, verse 4, now the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. John could have said in the original thing, it's the Lord's Passover. It's his. But it had become something different. Just like these men, they started off, who knows how they started off, but after a while it became the Hophni and Phinehas sacrifice. It became the house of Eli sacrifice. It became something different than what it should have been. We should never get in the way of people when they worship And notice in verse 13 that it was the priest's servant, they would come. Not the priests themselves. Oh, no, they had a servant for that. They had an underling to come. Is it possible that they were too proud, or maybe they were ashamed of what they were doing, or maybe they'd become so calloused and hard about it, they just didn't want to do it anymore. You ever seen those, uh, the work sites, like uh, down here on Five Mile Line, I saw it today, you know, the... The guys who have been around for a long time, the older guys, they're driving the big machines. They got their hands on the, you know, the, the big uh, dump truck and all that stuff and all the backhoes and stuff like that. But who's in the pit? The 20-somethings. <laughs> and that's not bad because they got to start somewhere, right? And those older guys, their backs aren't that great anymore. So you got the young guys down there doing that. And here these guys are similar. They're just like, you know, we've been around long enough. You know, we'll just let these guys... We've got the underlings doing the, doing the hard work. We'll just come in and sweep up after, you know, we'll just come up and when it's time for the lights to shine and the microphone comes out, we'll come out then. But until then, just get the crowd riled up and then we'll come out at the end. But the priest servant, notice in verse 15, just look down in verse 15. They would also demand meat for roasting. Not boiled meat, but raw meat. Have you ever tried to boil meat and then stick it on the grill? Because that's really what this is, folks. This is a barbecue. All right? Have you taken a steak? Try this sometimes. Get a nice porterhouse. 
or ribeye. Soak it in water overnight. And then take it out of the water, drip it, drip it, hold it and get it, and then slap it on the grill. See how it tastes. Not going to taste that great. Sodden with water, baked in. But now you take that thing raw and you cut it. You stick it on the grill. Whole different taste. Everything changes. The smile comes back on the man's face. Right? You can tell I like to grill. But notice, God gave them a portion. Notice verse 14. Then he would thrust in it in, the, the hook, into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot. And it seems to insinuate here that they would actually go to the worshiper's house after they've worshipped and they've taken their portion home. The worshiper takes their portion home and they're fixing it. The priest would actually show up and say, hey, what's for dinner? And they would throw in their, their, their flesh hook and pick up what's left, you know, or, or a portion of it. That, that's what is insinuated here. They would actually do that. And also, before they burn the fat, verse 15, the priest servant, again, the priest servant, not the priest himself, would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give me meat for roasting for the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. Because who wants boiled meat to put on the grill? Not too many American men I know. And the fat belonged to the Lord. Notice in Leviticus, let me just read it, in verse 316 it says, And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, and offering made by fire for a sweet aroma, and all the fat is the Lord's. And they're getting in the way of them offering the fat as well. Notice, for he will not take moiled, uh, broiled, or boiled meat from you, but raw It became all about them instead of being all about the Lord. Whenever worship becomes about somebody else other than God, you're on very shaky ground. You're on very dangerous ground. Verse 16, And if the man said to him, They should really burn the fat first, then you shall take as much as your heart desires, he would answer them, answer him, No, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. When when does worship, you know, uh, something that somebody has to do by force? It's always volitional. It, it needs to be volitional. It has to be something that comes from your heart. You can't force somebody to worship. You remember when Nebuchadnezzar tried to do that? He set up the altar, or, or the, not the altar, but the, the golden image in the plain of Shinar, forcing people to worship. Do you think even his top generals, do you think they were really worshiping? No, they were scared to death because they had to do it. Everyone had to do it. And all the 127 provinces that he had control over, they had to worship this thing for fear of death. And who had the guts? But three Hebrew lads, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those were their Babylonian names. They had the, they had the guts to stand up to the, to the king and say, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You can throw us into the oven, king. And if you do... Our God, whom we serve, can save us if he chooses. (laughs) Man, I tell you what, as soon as they came out of their mouth, I bet God was saying, oh, I'm going to love this. I mean, you put God on the, you you stand up for righteousness and do something like that, God is going to show up. (laughs) These guys were filled with faith. They're like, you can torch me. And you know what? Even if, even if he doesn't deliver us, so be it. Man, I tell you, I, I, I'm not sure I'm there. In fact, I'm confident I'm not. But I love to ascribe to that. I love to maybe someday get to that place. Hopefully I'll never have to find out, but 
praise the man if, when he is. You know, there's other ways that God can do these things. Not necessarily being thrown into an oven. There's better ways I like to go out on this planet. But being burned is not one of them. So therefore the sin of the men, the young men, was very great before the Lord. And men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Notice that God was gracious to them. And he gave Eli and his sons much time to repent. Because some time is going by. And we should never assume that just because God hasn't busted us yet, that it's okay or that he condones something that we're doing that nobody may be aware of. If whatever you are doing is wrong and you know it, you must turn from it as soon as possible and stop playing games with God. Guys, what are you involved in? Are you involved in pornography? Boy, nobody likes that term, especially men. You say that in a room full of men, and everyone starts to scream for the doors. They're like, you know, in Florida, sometimes you can go into a dark room in a restaurant, a very good restaurant down in Miami, flip on the lights in the middle of the night, roaches everywhere, fleeing, little palmetto bugs. You mention that term, and everybody starts to scream and run. Nobody likes to talk about it, but it's an epidemic in our church. It's an epidemic in every church, I'll be honest with you. But when you know that you're doing something wrong, you need to stop as soon as possible. Don't assume because you're getting away with it that God is somehow condoning it. And these men had been getting away with it for years, right? Because Hannah and them have been going up for years, getting away with it for years. And God, isn't he wonderful? He's slow. He's very patient. And don't assume that just because you haven't gotten caught that he's going to say, oh, it's okay. You know, I mean, after all, you love her. It's okay that you're with her. It's okay, you know, you know, people tell me that. They're like, you know, we're not married, but, you know, we're living together and going through all the stuff that married, you know, pe- married people would do, but, you know, we're not married yet. Well, it's like, well, you've tried on the shoe. When are you going to, you know, when are you going to put the ring on the finger? Oh, God knows our hearts. You know, we're, we're just in love. No, you're not. You're, you don't love her. You're using her, and she's using you, and you guys would have it no other way. Don't lie to God. And that time, between the time you sin and the time that you are exposed, is God's grace. However long that may be. Could be years. Could be decades. Could be a week. Could be two days. We don't know. That's up to God. We're going to look at next week. We're going to take communion now. Next week we'll look at Samuel's childhood ministry. And we'll look at the, the prophecy against Eli's household. And you know, God always has his way. He always has his way. We can fool men. We can fool each other. But we cannot fool God. And God gave, he's so wonderful in his grace, isn't he? Have you been the beneficiary of his grace? I know I have. I have done so many things in my life, and I look back on them, even as a Christian, I'll be honest with you, and I think of how wonderful God's grace is and how many times I thought I was getting away with something. It could be a bad attitude. It could have been a habit, whatever it may be. And yet God is so patient. And now I worship him even more for his grace on my life. I think of how often I should have been dead. Seriously, my, 
my childhood growing up on an island in southwest Florida, running around with no shoes on in the forest, in the jungles of southwest Florida, Pine Island, filled with rattlesnakes, coral snakes, alligators. I swam in the canals at night. Crazy, crazy stuff. But after all, when you're a teenager, you're invincible. (laughs) At least I thought I was. And I look back on those days now, and I'm like, God, I have no idea how I lived. And maybe one day I'll get to heaven and the Lord will say to me, you know what, you, we had to pay um, Gabriel time and a half. We had to pay him time and a half to keep up with you. You were a, you know, remember that time when you were swimming in the canal at night? You had no idea there was a 13-foot crocodile coming toward you. And I discouraged the crocodile. Do you remember when you were swimming at night out in the shell cut out there on the border of the, uh, Charlotte Harbor? Do you remember that, Rob, when you were out there and you dove to the bottom? in probably 20, 30 feet of water in complete darkness. Did you know there was a bull shark nearby? And I discouraged him from coming near you. (laughs) I don't even want to know the things that God has done. But he always has his way. And we're going to see Eli in his household a man of God, finally, when Eli was not willing to listen to God. Have you, been not, have you ever not listened to God? And then there comes a point when God says, if you're not going to open your ears and open your heart, then I must send somebody. I mean, he, he could speak to you audibly if he so chose. But more often than not, he would just rather speak to you through his word or through the still small voice, the conscience in your heart. And when you spurn those things, or perhaps when your heart is so calloused and hard and it's been seared like, like with a hot iron... God will send somebody else to warn you. He'll come to you. Somebody will. And they'll say, hey, listen. Mene, mene, tekel, eupharsin. Your days are in the balance. You've been counted. You've come up short. We don't know when that time is. But again... As we take communion, I know this is kind of a a solemn sort of thing, but you know what? As we consider what Jesus has done for us, when he died on that cross, his body was broken for you and I. And And that is such a wonderful thing that he has done for us. It is very real, folks. And to me, taking communion is such a wonderful thing because of what it symbolizes. And in our crazy culture that we live in, it's so easy for us to forget to remember again what he did. And what did he say? Do this as often as you will, and do this in remembrance of me. And he he passed around the bread with his disciples that night in the upper room. He took that loaf of bread and just tore off a piece, and he handed it to John, to his, or probably handed it to John, and then he grabbed it back from him and then handed it to Judas, the guest of honor, right to his left. Jesus would take it and hand it to Judas and, and, and pass it around. And finally, all the way around the other side of the the triclinium, over on the other side where Peter was, the servant. And then he would say, this is my body which is broken for you. What do you mean, Lord? Jesus was speaking as if it had already taken place, and yet it had not, right? For that night, they would go uh, down to the Kidron Valley and go up the hill into the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives there. And it was there that he would be taking. There he would spend the wee hours of the morning being improperly arraigned. 
but his body hadn't been broken yet. But from God's perspective, it was already a done deal. Now it's just going through it. This is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. Then he took the cup and he passed it around, a chalice. He drunk of it and he gave it to them, passed it around. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Drink it. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.